welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Podcast. Today we have Chris and Marla and Dennis and Dave and Piff and Craig and Sensei. Good to have you today, sir. Then and Amy uh, and whoever else decides to pop in. Today we're talking about the 17th verse of the Tao Te Ching. Announcements. Let's see. We have the nightly 9 p.m. Eastern AA meeting at zoomaameeting.com. We have several folks here that come to that occasionally. I chair on Fridays. Amy chairs on Sunday. The breakout on on Fridays that, that Amy chairs. You can get there at zoomaameetings.com, um, but you need to be logged into your free Zoom account to get there because we do not have a password. That's what we use for authentication. Then, Craig, we have our Facebook group. Yep, with Facebook page, Tower Understanding Facebook page. It's easy to find. It's the exact same logo as, as, the, as the podcast. Join the group. You can actually join in the meetings as well. So if you want, if you want to comment or um, actually join in the meetings, and please feel free to do so. Or you can watch this video as well. This get um, recorded and video uploaded, so you can see what actually goes on in the meeting. And you can't see the chat. You can't see the chat that goes on in the meeting. That's that. You have to join the meeting to get involved in the chat. The chat is actually where the meeting happens. So to get involved in what goes on with Amy, because Amy's actually a bit of a bad influence, you have to join the Facebook page. Thank you, Craig. The 17th verse, as a matter of fact, I'm just going to read the actual Wayne Dyer. I think that'd be a good one. To, With the greatest leader above them, people barely know one exists. Next comes one whom they love and praise. Next comes one whom they fear. Next comes one whom they despise and defy. When a leader trusts no one, no one trusts him. The great leader speaks little. He never speaks carelessly. He works without self-interest and leaves no trace. When all is finished, the people say, we did it ourselves. Pip, you were talking about a, a translation that you like. Would you like to read the one that you were talking about, the uh, Stefan uh, Stenard translation? Yeah, sure. I've just um, also put it, the link in the chat as well. Um, so verse 17 reads, The supreme rulers are hardly known by their subjects. The lesser are loved and praised. The even lesser are feared. The least are despised. Those who show no trust will not be trusted. Those who are quiet value the words. When their task is completed, people will say, we did it ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. Any comments on that? Then say, how are you uh, thinking that this would, uh, uh, what's a Zen approach to this verse? What, what's speaking to you out of this? Um. A couple of things popped to mind in management circles. I was in uh, in business as a design consultant in retail, um, manufacturing, 
I learned to do consumer research for new product development. And they have a saying in management circles that the greatest manager uh, obviates his own position or does everything possible to erase his or her own position. And uh, naturally, they do that similarly in the way that Dyer talks about it by by delegating things to everybody else and making sure they get the credit and recognition for it. So uh, there's a very common pedestrian everyday uh, agreement with this. And then in the case of political leaders or military leaders, such as we're witnessing now in Ukraine, and this goes probably back to the Greeks, uh, or maybe it's Machiavelli. I think it's Machiavelli. You, you would rather be feared than loved. And uh, this seems to take the opposite attack. Taoism uh, says you, you would rather be loved than feared. And in Zen, uh, I'm not sure that a Zen leader cares <laughs> whether he or she is loved or feared. Uh, because uh, as a lead guitarist, I had a little group with, well, we were all going to be rock and roll stars one day in my generation. Uh, had a group that would play, and there was a really good lead guitarist. And one day he looked at me and he says, you know, the lead guitar follows. So I think it's like that. I come from a jazz family background, as some of you know. In jazz, you, nobody really leads. You know, it's a communal communal thing, and you have to be very humble to play well with a jazz quintet or quartet or trio, um, where everybody is sort of the leader, and they take turns trading fours, trading four measures, you know, between the percussion and the pianist and so forth. Um, so I think it's, it's not a case of leading. Uh, but it's more like the Taoist principle of not leading, you know, letting go of the reins, uh, seeing what happens. Can can you let go of the idea of control altogether? Thank you. Uh, Pip, you have something, ma'am? <clears throat> yeah. Um, it was it was more just when it was mentioned that the Tao would prefer to be loved. Because what I should take away from this verse is that saying that the um, the ideal, the supreme rulers are hardly known by their subjects. And then a tear down from that is the lesser are loved and praised. So the optimal is that I feel like what it, this verse is saying is yep. rulers, the ideal um, w- way to rule is to to be as least noticed as possible, to have as um, smaller presence to not receive praise to do without it even being noticed that they're ruling. You know, mm-hmm. that is the ultimate way to rule, to, to rule without it being noticed that ruling is occurring and to not receive praise and love. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and it's like a progression downward, isn't it? Uh, yes, Sensei. Yeah, I just wanted to add to, to what to what she said. I'm sorry I missed your name. Pip, Pip, what Pip had to say. And buddy, I think I've sent you the uh, non-directive interview technique. Yeah. Is that right? So um, 
This is a method developed by Carl Rogers in World War II to interview resistant draftees. And uh, it's known as the Rogerian technique. And it's the, basically the technique that you learn to use when you're doing consumer research of any kind. Focus groups, one-on-one interviews. And what it does is it, it trains you a different way of talking so you don't use threatening or challenging questions like, why do you think that? But more along the lines, and you see this on TV and other places where people are apparently trained. They say, what makes you feel that way? It's a softer approach. And you can actually use that approach, say, in a boardroom meeting where you're actually controlling the meeting, but nobody knows it. And it's called non-directive because you're not actually controlling the meeting in the sense of trying to get it to go where you want. You're making it smooth. And the fact that you're doing this is invisible because all you're doing is interviewing the other people and bringing them out so that everything is clear. Tell me more about that. What is there about that that makes you feel that way? So if anybody online tonight is interested in that, just let them have my email address and I'll send that to you. Took me about three years to get any good at it because it's a little bit unnatural way of speaking. Some people are very empathic naturally and it's natural for them, but it's very useful in difficult situations with, uh, for Zen people who are part of a, a Southern Christian family, they find it's useful just to interview their relatives when the subject of Religion and faith comes up. If you interview them, you avoid having, you avoid the conflict or you sort of neutralize the conflict. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's interesting here, this progression downward. Um, it appears that it would go from ease to love to fear to hate. Yep. 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 You know, and, and when, the approach I took on that for the seventeenth was, uh, from a recovery standpoint, the progression of alcohol in our lives, and we could think about this really, the progression of fear or the progression of any kind of um, level of control that we place in any relationship or in any situation when we think about it. Um, let me read this to you. This is how I looked at the, my interpretation on the 17th verse, the progression of alcohol. The progression of alcohol from a casual drink to a necessity can be subtle. In the beginning, alcohol is not noticed. Next, alcohol is loved. Then alcohol is feared and eventually despised. Alcohol is believed to have all control. Only a gift as subtle as sobriety can bring relief. Like a child who receives a gift but plays with only the box. We possessed sobriety the entire time and did not know it. Um, you know, we can apply that in any relationship or situation in life that when we're in, like, let's say we're talking about a job that we have. When we're in the flow and doing as we should, the control is not a problem. Uh, but as the spiral goes downward and we try to exert more and more control, eventually we become to hate what's going on in our life. So my question would be, 
how do we apply this in our everyday life rather than just keeping it out there with a with a leader and you know the public how can we apply this in our everyday life because if we don't watch it the more control we try to place the further down the spiral that we, that we go um how about this statement here that talks about if we don't trust no one the leader who trusts no one no one trusts him in our everyday life we we have to have some vulnerability don't we we have to we have to start trusting in some way if we don't if we don't trust people and if we don't uh open ourselves up then uh we're we're not going to be trusted i mean the people are not going to um not going to open up to us either that's so very what's going on right now is uh you know you're looking at an insane man who doesn't trust anybody what <clears throat> doesn't even eat food that he doesn't know where it comes from lives in fear and decides to flex his muscles for no particular reason other than perhaps insanity. That's all I needed to say. Thanks, Marla. But I'd rather you just call me out when you want me to comment. I'd rather not jump in and volunteer. Just jump, jump in, Sensei. Jump in, sir. Please, jump in. Go ahead. Well, um, one of the most famous and early teachings in Buddhism is called the Xinqing Ming, which means tr something like faith in mind or trust in mind. It goes back to like 600 in China, and it's very long. But uh, so I would say the, this uh, idea of trust and necessity of trust goes deeper in Zen. You have to trust your own self, your own original self, at least. You have to trust your own mind before you can really trust anyone else. You can't just, you know, I often say jokingly, yeah, I trust them to do what human beings do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, before you can really trust others in the sense of letting them take over something that's going to have a profound effect on you, and everybody else, like the, the Sangha, the board of directors, the whatever organization, you have to have a deep trust in, in, in your own original mind. You have to have a deep trust in Zen, at least in the process of meditation that we teach and train others in. So, um, I don't think you can just trust others as an act of will. You have to have a deep, profound trust that no matter how far off the rails we go, you know, uh, it's not the end of the world. And uh, through our practice, through in Taoism, it would be more like through understanding and being in harmony with the Tao, the natural way of things. Don't worry. No worries. We'll bring this back online. And it may have to get pretty hairy and may have to get pretty, pretty out there where you're willing to engage in conflict, uh, it's not simply a matter of avoiding conflict and suffering, but more embracing it. And, uh, but, you know, the simple way of thinking of it is, 
if you sit on a cushion for long periods of time, you have to develop a lot of patience with yourself because there are times when you just can't stand it. You want to run screaming out of the place. And, uh, and I'm sure it's like withdrawal from, you know, the pr- process of withdrawal is the same. It's painful, painful. So in meditation, we're essentially doing engaging a direct withdrawal process, withdrawing from our senses, withdrawing from our desires, withdrawing from our opinions, et cetera. So it can be very painful. But if you do enough of that, um, you know, you, you gain at least enough patience that it's easy to be patient with others, much easier. And being patient with others is the same as being trusting them. But you have to trust your own mind first. Thank you, Sensei. So Putin does not trust his own mind, from my perspective. No. From I that, was thinking of... Oh, go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. No, from that perspective. Putin does not trust his own mind. He's, he's basically psychotic, or neurotic at least. How about this phrase from... From Stephen Mitchell's translation, it says, The master doesn't talk, he acts. When his work is done, the people say, Amazing, we did it all by ourselves. I was thinking about in recovery how we ex- we share our experience. We don't tell people how what they need to do. We share how it worked for us. We share our experience. So, you know, when somebody stay sober for a year, let's say, and they're talking about how they did it, which is what, you know, you you talk about um, how you do it yourself. It's not that someone did it for you. It's the same way, really, in that we share the gifts that are given to us. So how people respond to that, up to them. It's not... Um, it's not that someone gives you the formula and you work their formula. It's that you share how you did it. And if they do, if, if they, um, benefit from that, it's, uh, they really do do it themselves, you know, um, in the same way. It's not that, the it's not that, that, uh, that we give someone the formula, they they look at it and and they do they recover from their own effort. It's not as if someone else uh, they just share. We just share the gift that was given to us. Um, it's interesting how the the master just acts. The mac the master does. Um, having difficulty putting that into words that are. Well, it's one thing from Zen might help with that, and, and, and I'll shut up. But uh, we teach that what we really transmit in Zen is the method. Yeah. And you you could say that's the same for music or art or any other, even science. You know, any any apprentice type mode training. Uh, in the highest levels, you transmit the method to the next generation or to the to the apprentice. And then the apprentice develops it into journeyman mastery level. So you can't, so a simple way of saying it is you cannot teach Zen, but you can teach Zazen. You can teach the method. Mm-hmm. You cannot teach music, but you can teach a person to play the piano. 
they have to find the music. And it eventually becomes music. And Zen eventually becomes Zen. So I think that's what you're getting at. You teach a method of recovery. But the person has to reinvent it. Yeah, yeah. That's why we talk about the our own higher power, the, the higher power of our understanding, or the Tao of our understanding. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's been um, like this, the case where I really didn't believe in God, you know, as as shown, which is common for us all, but but I developed a trust the program works really well, that the method yeah. is working. Um, so I think this parallel that he's talking about is really good. Hmm. Thank you. And, I, and I, I, there must be some de- debates about faith versus trust, or maybe not. Maybe they're the same. Uh, they seem to be. Um, it's easier for me to believe in trust, you know, to have trust than to, you know, faith in a higher power. Yes. If I if I may speak to that. Yes. Please. Uh, trust in Zen, trust in mind, faith in mind are interchangeable. And so we say we trust the ancestors, we trust the teaching, we don't see any reason why they would try to deceive us. What do they have to gain? And uh, so we trust the method. Um we have insidious doubt that Zen may work, but it doesn't work for me. There's something wrong with me. That's insidious doubt. Or if we don't trust the teaching, we say Buddha Buddha was uh, a phony or whatever. You know, the ancestors were all charlatans. That's insidious doubt. Those are a way of deflecting doubt off of oneself onto other things. And the one of the worst forms of it, like this same poem here, is self-doubt that is so rigidly focused on yourself you can't you can't get past it but in uh in buddhism there's something called great doubt and the idea in in great doubt is that if you question your own understanding including all of these insidious doubts that you have about everything then they can all sort of accumulate to become great doubt where everything in the universe is in question like the universe is one big question mark and what emerges from that in Zen is called the don't know mind. We we face up to the fact and admit to the fact that, as Einstein said, what what he knew, what he knew most surely was how little he knew. And so the, the don't know mind is highly revered in Zen. And what it does is embraces doubt. So we say the way I put it is doubt is the emotional content of faith. The more doubt you feel, the more faith you are exerting, just as fear is the emotional content of courage. If you're courageous, it doesn't mean you don't feel fear. It means you can operate with a very high threshold of fear. So you're feeling a great deal of fear, and yet it doesn't stop you from acting. So that's the way doubt and faith uh, are conjoined, I think, in the Zen view. You want to encourage doubt. There's an old Zen saying, keep your doubt at a keen edge. And what that means is to continue to question your own view. You're, you know, Buddha, Buddha had doubts. And he said, um, you know, be a light to your, yourself. Figure this out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Don't trust my word. Trust your own experience. But the yes. only way you can exert trust or faith is by the emotional feeling of doubt. 
Thank you, Sensei. Uh, Pip? Um, yeah, I really like as well, buddy, the, um, the sentence in this verse that makes reference to words. Because even, you know, earlier on, I think it's in verse 5, there's also reference to, to like the importance of um, silence and the limitness of language and that, you know, language and words will only ever point in the direction of what's being expressed. You know, there's there's huge um, faults in the value that we put on language. And, you know, I can say myself, like on my own spiritual journey, I will seek that magic, that magic solution, that magic phrase, which will deliver me to my experience. But that won't ever happen. The phrase will guide me in a direction, but the experience will never come out of words, you know, but it's, and it, it's a, a journey to find that path. And it's, um, frustrating. For me, sometimes when I want it to be delivered in an expression in words, I want someone to tell me with, with the words that the answer or the path. Um, in in this translation that I have, when Stephen speaks to um, that the sentence on on um, yeah, those who are quiet value the value words, he sort of goes on to to sort of unpack it in a way that I think is really beautiful, and he says that. Words should be used with the same moderation as power. A leader arguing his case abundantly is probably trying to cover its weakness. Rhetoric can be as fine as poetry, but it says very little about the issue at hand. Words are not deeds. So words about deeds give no guarantee as to how they will turn out. And I really love that last point that he's making, that words are not the deeds. The words about deeds give no guarantee as to how they'll turn out. You know, there's a huge gap between them. They point in the direction, but they're not a guarantee. Is it like, hey, Pip, is it like describing how a strawberry tastes versus tasting the strawberry, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's the same in recovery. You know, we have this book, we've got this big book, we've got these words that are pointing to something that's so phenomenal, it's beyond words, but it's Mm -hmm. It's pointing in the direction, but it's it's so limited, really. You know, everyone gets yeah. sent off after the book to have their, you know, you there's something beyond the words on the page that everyone individually has to experience. So, so the words are the finger pointing at the moon, right? The words are not the moon. <laughs> the words <laughs> are pointing you toward the moon. Yeah, mm. Chris, that's like what you were talking about. I think about the difference between. Uh, faith, because you know, we come into recovery. I was taught before that I had faith in something, and then my faith is what produced the result. Okay. But what we learn in recovery is that it's our actions that produce the result, not our faith. It's the process that produced the results. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. So it's the same thing in Zazen, I think, since say where we sit. <laughs> it's our sitting that produces the result, right? Yeah, and you have to have a certain amount of faith in the process. Yeah. And and yeah. you can't blame people for saying just sits the way I express it, just sit still enough long enough. And of course you have to figure out how still is still enough, how long is long enough. 
if there's any doubt in your mind, it's probably not enough. Mm-hmm. But people, you can't blame people for saying, Are you, that's too stupid simple. How could that do anything? <laughs> you know, you can't blame people for saying that. <laughs> and besides, it's kind of boring and, and can be painful. And <laughs> so you have to have a certain amount of faith in the method to commit to it. Yeah, and then Amy's chiming in in the chat because she's having to work and listen. Uh, before AA, I judged myself by my intentions while the world was judging me by my actions. Yeah, that's good. We have to move from from a faith base uh, to a action base, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, faith, faith can be equivalent to belief. In, uh, in theism or in the Abrahamic traditions. So your, your faith is a, basically a series of beliefs that you subscribe to. And in Buddhism, we have something called precepts. You know, I take up the way of not killing, not lying, not stealing. And they're, they're sort of like commandments, but they're not based on a belief that you'll go to heaven or you go to hell. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. It's more an operational framework. As as uh, Buddy is saying, taking how do we take action, compassion, action in the face of this disaster that we live in? You know. So we start. We act our way into right thinking rather than thinking our way into right acting. Or right. I guess you could say, I said it a little different earlier. The eightfold path actually starts with meditation and ends up with right view. It doesn't start with right view and end up with meditation. We love our way into right believing rather than believe our way into right loving or you know, something <laughs> of that nature. <laughs> you know, I mean, because it, yep. it starts with the action, right? Yep. Yeah. Zen is a way of action, taking action. How, how about this one from, uh, this is from the eighth verse. Uh, this was from our our devotion, our Tao devotion. I think this morning, water is like the Tao, and it flows without thinking. That's that yeah. don't know mind, isn't it, Sensei? Flowing without thinking. Yeah, it's uh, not that you're unthinking. It's just that uh, it doesn't depend on thinking. It's before thinking, right? Before thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Or beyond thinking, whichever way you want to look at yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you're talking. We were talking about, Chris. You were talking. That's what you were you were pointing to was mm-hmm. that that when we we act our way, when we take the next right action, then we see results from that. We don't get results from what we believe. We re- get results from our action. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, uh, in Buddhism, that's called, those are called karm, karmic, karmic consequences come from action. Kur is the root word of karma. It means action. And actions with intent are the ones that deliver the karmic consequences, positive or negative, however you interpret them. Hmm. Hmm. Karmic consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other comments, guys? I liked, uh, Sensei referenced the feeling of, well, not the feeling, but the characteristic of empathy earlier, quite a while ago, actually. Um, 
And I learned how that's uh, a really important thing when we're talking human interaction. And it's something that has some people have to learn. I've had to learn that, learn what that is. And I don't know if there's any further comment on that, but that's a big part of, of, uh, for me, of maintaining sobriety, trying to cultivate that. I think we get better at it. Um, we get better at meditation. Um, so that I think empathy is something that can actually be nurtured, nurtured over time. In Buddhism, there are three minds, magnanimous mind, nurturing mind, and joyous mind. So uh, magnanimous mind is this open embrace of everything. Nurturing mind is to try to do everything you can to help others. And, and joyous mind is the, the mind that arises out of, out of that. So your compassion and action has to be balanced with wisdom. But, uh, you know, it's easy to say. <laughs> easy to say. Right. Do as I do. Do as I say, not I do. <laughs> so how do we, how is this 17th verse practical to us? What is, what's the gift in this verse, I think, would be the way to wrap this up. What do you guys see as the gift here? Dave. Dave's going to speak finally. It's been three weeks, Dave. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I wanted to mention. Um, I was completely confused on the first half of this number 17. Pip helped, and then Buddy explained it to me. But it, the old Dave would have jumped in with Putin or military experience or software VPs. But I just wanted you to know I'm, I'm, I'm not court order. So I'm not just here to listen to you guys talk, but the, those who are quiet value the words. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to listen. And so I just want you to know I'm not just showing up to get a check sheet. I really try and this was a hard one for me today. Sensei, you're not easy to follow. So I got six pages. Sorry. That's okay. It's, I just wanted to say thank you for this meeting, everything that everybody's doing, uh, because I am paying attention. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, sir. I know that's difficult because I know you. <laughs> Isn't it great when we can lay down our opinions and listen? Psychic change. I, I'm trying. That is I, mean, the I, have a, I have a question. Is there a way I can put the non-directive interview technique in the chat? Yes. Everybody? How do you do that? Um, is it easy? Yes. If you just, uh, everyone you, in the you, meeting, you pull up the chat, and then to everyone in the meeting, type in whatever you want to type, and everyone will see it. I mean, can I paste a document in there? A um, link. In a PDF, a link, yes, sir. Or a PDF itself. You can you can upload it. Oh. So there's a little paper looking thing in the chat. Yes, yeah, everyone. Dropbox, click, Microsoft, Google yep, Drive. Go down to your computer, probably is where you've got it. Your computer, okay. Yep. Cool. Thank you, Amy. Okay. Thank you. Pip, you have a comment while Sensei's doing that? Um, yeah, just 
they're just subject to like knowing things and like emptying the mind. Um, someone said something before that really reminded me of, I remember the first time that I came across, I'm not sure if anyone knows him, I wouldn't be surprised, Daniel Schmachtenberger. And he's a, he's a systems thinker and he, he has this beautiful, um, brain and he has a really early initiation into Buddhism. And I think he's deeply embedded in Buddhism. And, um, you know, he speaks about like the way that civilization can, he calls it the knowledge ecology and how we don't, no one really knows anything. All we are ever really doing is proxying our knowledge, thinking, I know subject matter, but it's just proxied to whatever source we've read it from. And that source that we've read it from is proxied to a researcher. You know, it's proxy, proxy, proxy knowledge. You know, the truth is that we are really void and empty of anything other than knowledge of some deep fundamental experience of self. Everything else is just proxied knowledge. And how beautiful when you can clear clear that. <laughs> that's that's life changing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why that's why Zen takes so long. It's not that you're gaining anything, you're getting rid of all this crap, all the baggage. Mm. We've got a lot. Yeah. Does that mean when you start younger, you're a bit lot better off? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kindergarten. Kindergarten. <laughs> I see. I see your uh, non-directive interview there, guys. If y'all see that, I see the PDF. Thank you. Yes, it's there. And then Amy, my, it's my summary white paper on the method. You can follow up by looking up Carl Rogers and getting into more detail, but this should be enough for you to get started. And then Amy mentioned the uncover, discover, and discard. Thank you. But isn't that the action that we take? The action is in moving from the doer to the observer, right? Like we were talking, actually, that brings us back full circle, Sensei, to what we talked about in the meditation before the meeting. Before the meeting, the actual preface during the meditation was moving to the noticer, just noticing. And that's really what we're doing, isn't it? In life is we're, we're making that transition from the doer to the observer. Maybe that's what the master was doing here or the leader. The goal was to become the observer and the noticer rather than the instigator and the and the prodder. In, uh, you know? in Zen, we have uh, terms like non-thinking. Uh, actualized within non-thinking, we get to the point where we're no longer ri- relying on thinking. And then uh, there's a term non, non-doing, getting to the point of non-doing, which is the most powerful action of all. I remember when I was a kid, I was, since I, you were raised on a farm, weren't you? Yep. When I was a kid, I was raised on a little hog farm, and my grandfather had this prod this electron with two electrodes and a bunch of B cell batteries in it. And what you would do is if you had the hogs and you were trying to move them in a direction, you would try to open the hole up and just walk up behind them and let them move in that direction. Well, if one wanted to turn and go the other way, we had this electric, he had this electrical prod that he would pop them with and jolt them and make them go the way they needed to go. 
And sometimes that worked, but sometimes it was the worst thing in the world to do because if yeah, they wanted yeah. to go the wrong direction, they could, and they just didn't know it. Uh, and you tried to get them to move without the hate and the fear if, if you're applying the story. <laughs> but sometimes you just prodded them, and uh, that was not what you wanted to do if you didn't have to. So that's kind of the thing is we're, we're learning to notice the opening. You know, instead of being prodded. In Zen, we have a stick that we hit you with on the shoulder. It's called the Kiyosaku. But you yeah. have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. Well, well our pigs did not ask for it. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh. I've even tried. I've even tried to hit myself. You know, but you can't get enough leverage to do any good. <laughs> It's like a shiatsu. It releases tension in your shoulders. It's not a form of punishment or violence. And uh, it blows thoughts out of your mind. So it's called the blow of compassion. But isn't it great? Compassion sometimes looks like cruelty. (laughs) But isn't it great when we can start seeing those things, though, and start noticing? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. So I think the takeaway on this day from what we're talking here, I think the takeaway is that we start noticing things in our life rather than thinking it's up to us to make it all happen, you know. We start being able to trust people when we couldn't trust before. And then when we start, you know, start becoming, uh, start taking those right actions, we start seeing the results of those right actions. Yeah. And this reminded me of uh, in the 23rd verse where it says that when we open ourselves up to the Tao uh, and we uh, talks about opening ourselves up, then we take the next right action that things fall into place, you know, that we just do what's natural, do what's in front of us to do. But we have to open ourselves up to that first. And I think that's what the master is doing here is we have to open ourselves up, not come at this with an agenda. Yeah. Anything else, guys? Yes, Sensei. Yeah, just one comment on right action. The Eightfold Path is expressed that way. Right view, right thought, speech, action, livelihood, right effort, mindfulness, meditation. But the right is not opposed to wrong. The right is like riding a ship in the water so you can continue sailing, or like a wheel right. Mm-hmm balances a wheel so it's round and the cart rolls smoothly. So the right view, right thought, right speech, right meditation, right action are mean uh those things that further and and uh help you keep the raft sailing. Not not correct as opposed to incorrect. Right. It's like finding the grooves. It's like finding the grooves in the road. You know, used to Yep. The wagon, yep. the wagon grooves were in the road because of all the wagons that rode right. that went down the road. So what would happen would be if you let the horse have the reins, it could find the grooves in the road. So you didn't fight the road. You found the grooves and you could just move on in a in a place of ease rather than fighting yep. the grooves all the time, trying to stay right in this one position that wasn't really in the grooves, you know. You could spend a lot easier for the horse. (laughs) A lot easier for the horse. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's good. Thank 
Yeah, thank you, Sensei. You made a great distinction between right action and writing your action. Yeah. Like, that mm-hmm. makes it's a yeah, it's a verb. It's sense. not an adjective, it's a verb. Good, good, good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Rather than correct action, which we're thinking we're always thinking that there's opposites there, but we're not talking about opposites. No. No. That's yeah, that's another revelation today. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, guys, before we close? That was good today. I'm, I wanted to mention a book that I've been enjoying. It's called The Zen of Recovery. I don't know if you know it or not. Um, Who's the author, Chris? Oh, darn. That's okay. Um, yeah. I left the book downstairs. I could, I, I'll, I'll, I'll afford it to you. And um, it's called The Zen of Recovery, and uh, I've been enjoying it a lot. Um. Oh, it's by Mel Mel Ash. Uh, Mel Ash. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I've been enjoying that book too. As a matter of fact, I just listened to that. Uh, finished oh. it last week. I had a sponsee that put me onto that. That's a very good book. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, anything else, guys? Are we good? All right. Oh, yeah. Do you mind if I uh, put my book on the chat, please? And then we have a second one coming out. Yeah, and then we have a link to your book on uh, buddyc.org as well on the front page there for anyone that would like to order that. If anybody gets my book and reads it, I just ask you to write a review for it. Mm. Appreciate that very much. Yeah, I've been enjoying that as well. I've been, oh, good. yeah, reading it with the Mel Ash book too, yeah. If you ever have any questions, just hook up with me by email and we can, we can discuss any, any confusion. <laughs> okay, great. Any cause. <laughs> or Chris, you can, you can hold your questions too and we can ask them in the, in, on the podcast too when, yeah. when say comes the first Thursday. So if you have any great. questions, make sure and bring them then as well. Great. I'm going to put my podcast in too. <laughs> And then I have a link in the notes for this meeting, Sensei, for your podcast as well. Good. Great. There it is. Yes, the unmind. Hmm. Un is my Dharma name. It means cloud. Tai Un means great cloud. And where can, can we enjoy this podcast on Apple Podcasts? Yep. Everywhere. Oh, All right. Thank you. Download it now. All right, guys. Well, if there's nothing else, y'all have a great week, and we will see you next week. Thank you, Sensei. Thank you, Sensei. Thank you all. Thank you. Pleasure. You're my favorite group. Favorite group. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars, Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.